Amen. So uh, I'm going to take my text this morning from a very, very familiar passage. I'll get to it in a moment. I'm not going to jump right into it. It's John chapter 4. You know the story. We call it the woman at the well. Uh, there's songs written about it and stories written about it, and we teach it to all the kids in children's church and in Sunday school. Uh, but I'm going to teach you something this morning that I had never seen before. As many times as I've preached on this lady, as many times as I've shared this story, as many times as I've read it, I never saw what the Holy Spirit revealed to me uh, in preparation for this sermon, which is probably why he wanted me to give it to you. Let me begin by saying, because I want to set the stage, that I am not what you would call a cook. Okay? Now, some people get really bold and say, I am a cook. And then you taste their cooking. And you find out they stretch the truth a little bit. Can somebody say amen? Now, now there is a difference between do you cook and can you cook. Okay? I do cook, but I am not a cook. Okay? Pastor, what's the difference? Well, I can make spaghetti and meat sauce. And it's palatable. You're going to eat it. You won't get sick. I won't give you salmonella. Uh, it, it's, it's good, okay. I'm a great uh, maker of over-easy eggs and bacon. I can do all that. I can, make, I can make pancakes. I can make a mean steak on the grill. I can cook salmon fillets and, and, and asparagus. And, I mean, it's a good meal. Basically, anything Google got, I can hook you up. Like, like, like if, if, if it can tell, tell me exactly how long to cook it and for what temperature and, and in what kind of pan and what to add on top of it, I can pull off anything that I can find on the Internet. But that's not cooking. That's reading comprehension and attention to detail. I got that. But see, I'm from the South, and I grew up around Southern cooking. And cooking in the South means that you don't need a road map to get to where you're going. Uh, see, see I, I grew up around women that didn't need ingredients wrote down on a piece of paper in order for them to put a meal together, okay? Uh, in the South, you're not a cook unless you talk in terms like heaps or dashes or helpings. Uh, I can tell y'all now. How much is a helping, Pastor? Well, I don't know. But I know if mom sent me next door to borrow a helping of sugar, I didn't know whether they gave me what I asked for until I got back home. Well, I mean, what is a helping? Is a helping a teaspoon or is it a tablespoon or is a, 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 a whole cup? I will tell you this. A helping is more than just a hunk, but it's less than a whole mess. And if you don't understand any of this terminology, you've never been around my mother making gravy. So, so, so when we first got married, my wife tried her hand at homemade biscuits. And my wife's a cook. She wasn't when we first got married. And she tried to make my mom's recipe for homemade biscuits. But my mom don't have recipes. She just says, well, get this, get that, put it all together, mix it up, put it in the oven. My wife's first batch of biscuits... We could have doubled them and made them door stops for all the doors in the house because you could throw them at Goliath and bring a giant down. Okay? And, and so, so I remember asking Mom, Mom, when are the biscuits supposed to be done? She said, when they're done in the middle. 
How am I supposed to know what's going on in the middle when I'm not in the oven with it? This is what a cook does. These are the kind of terminologies that a real cook throws around. And I I can tell this story because this sister is no longer with us and cannot come back and get me. Years ago, when we first moved here, I got in the pulpit and I said that my wife and I were shocked at some of the things we couldn't find when we moved north. One of those was good sweet tea. I'm still on the lookout. Another one was good hot dog chili. As a matter of fact, some of the folks in the church didn't even know you were supposed to put chili on a hot dog when we first moved up here. And the third thing that I couldn't find when I first located here was good apple pie. Now, you have to understand that when you say things like that to people who think they can cook, they take that as a challenge. So that week, an apple pie showed up at our house. And I I cut the biggest piece that would fit on my plate. It was a heap. Or or it might have been a whole mess. I still don't know what the measurements are. And I gave my wife the first bite off my plate because I'm a good husband. Remember that, it's important for the rest of the story because I put the fork in her mouth and then I cut me a big bite and I looked at her and her eyes were big and and she said with her mouth still full, bitter, not good. Now you have to understand, she and I have different definitions of what tastes good because she likes onions. So I don't always trust her assessment of what tastes good. So I got me a big bite to see what she was talking about. You ever been around somebody that that has something and they're like, here, smell this. And for some reason you do it? Like they're gagging, they don't want to touch it, they're holding it at arm's length, and they, they always want to stick it in your face. Here, smell this. And you're dumb enough to do it? thinking your result's going to be different than theirs. It's the same thing. I had to see what she was gagging about. So I put this, this bite in my mouth, and by now she's foaming at the mouth. And when I chewed on it, the same thing started happening to me. Now, immediately, I wasn't sure whether this church sister was trying to poison us or whether she thought I said I wanted an Alka-Seltzer pie. But regardless, we are now running to the sink and fighting over which one of us gets to rinse our mouth out first. The next day, my phone rings. Pastor, don't eat that pie. Too too late. I mean, I ain't going to eat the rest of it. But I already already tried it. And she said, was it any good? Now, normally, I'm real guarded. When somebody asks me a question like that, you know, I, I, I process because I don't want to say, you know, the wrong thing. I've, I've been married too long to just blurt out answers. But by this point in my marriage, I'm just, I'm processing it like 50,000 answers a second. You know, I, I got I to gotta evaluate everything that comes out of my mouth. And, and, and I said, 
but this time I wasn't sure she wasn't like trying to poison our whole family, so I was just going to be blunt with the sister, and I said, uh, not exactly. That was awkward. That the, whole, the whole conversation was awkward. And then she proceeded to tell me she's not a cook. She thought she could replicate her grandmother's apple pie recipe. Now, when her grandmother gave her the recipe, it called for something called baking powder. A half a teaspoon of baking powder. Her not being a cook didn't know that baking powder sounds a lot like baking soda. I don't have one. I'll use the other. It also called for one and a half cups of sugar. Sugar's good. I like sugar. However, she forgot the sugar. And instead of the baking soda being put in at the proportion of half a te teaspoon, she got confused and put a cup and a half of baking soda in this pie with no sugar. Can I tell you from personal experience that if you just miss one ingredient, you don't get the meal that you wanted to get. Getting the ingredients right determines the experience that you have. Trust me. And so when somebody tells me now, oh, I've got this that you got to try, I'm like, I'm on a diet. Or, or, if I, or if I'm feeling especially spiritual, I'm fasting. Thank you. <laughs> you can't eat at everybody's house and you can't eat everybody's apple pie. That's all I'm saying, okay? So, so, so if, you, if you miss one ingredient, you don't get the experience that you were hoping for. And did you know that it, is, that it is possible for you to miss some very important ingredients in your relationships? You, you can miss some important ingredients in your marriage. And if you miss one ingredient, your experience is going to taste bad. Let me give it to you like this, because y'all are shutting down on me already, okay? I brought some amens in my pocket this morning. That's why, that's, that's why I wanted to wear a jacket, because I knew you, you guys were going to lay down on me this morning. For instance, if you get married and you think that the marriage experience is, to, is there to make you happy, you're going to miss the ingredient of servanthood. And, and that relationship's not going to taste right. It's going to taste a little funny because any relationship that doesn't offer reciprocity one to another is doomed to fail. Did you know that it is possible for you to miss some important ingredients in your Christian walk, your relationship with your Heavenly Father? And if you miss one ingredient, the whole thing's going to taste bad. Uh, okay, so like if you have the ingredient of service, some of you will serve and you serve, and you serve at, the, at your own detriment. I mean, you will do things. You'll miss service. You'll miss worship. You'll miss prayer time. I mean, you will do whatever it takes to make sure that the functionality of this building is spot on. And I'm, I applaud you for it. However, if you do everything you do for God, but you don't have the relationship of love from God, then your relationship isn't right. And what you're doing becomes a performance instead of an act of gratitude. 
and you're missing an important ingredient, and the relationship won't taste right. There's a story in John chapter 4 of a woman who, when you first look at her, you don't assume that she's religious. But she's a very religious woman. However, her religion was missing some important ingredients. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And I'm going to begin with verse 3. And I'm going to apologize. I usually don't read 16 consecutive scriptures. But pardon me while I quote my father's word in his house. I want to set the whole stage for you because, believe it or not, somebody in this room has probably never heard this story in its entirety. Verse 3, so he left Judah, he being Jesus, and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. The King James Version says Jesus told his disciples, I must go through Samaria. In other words, he decided he needed to go through Samaria. That's going to become important in a moment. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me to drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Pay attention to that. I'll come back to that in a moment. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Do you hear her terminology? She's religious. She knows the stories. She's probably following doctrine and creed and, and theology. She said, hey, my, our father Jacob, are you greater than him? He gave us this well. She knows the story. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband. This is going to be awkward. I don't have a husband. The woman replied. <laughs> Jesus said, true that. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you're not even married to the man you shacked up with right now. You certainly told the truth. Well, this is awkward. Do you hear that awkward science, silence falling over the crowd? That's what happens when conversations get awkward. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Galilee where they are going to witness one of the greatest miracles in all of your Bible. 
It's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's what's about to happen. Less than 48 hours from this story, Jesus is going to be using the disciples and and passing the bread and fish through their hands to feed 5,000 people. But Jesus says, on the way there, I need to go through Samaria. Now, understand something, and uh, about a year and a half ago, I used this story as a, a sermon template for us to talk about the, the, the tragedy of things that go on in the world, like racism, because that's what was happening in this city. It, it was nation against nation, races against races, and they didn't like each other. There's nothing but conflict and disagreement between Israel and Samaria. Samaria was made up of people who used to follow God. But they decided that they wanted to mix a little bit of God and a little bit of idols and a little bit of humanism and they wanted to mix it all together and follow a new religion because following God is a little too tough. So the Israelites who were sold out to God believed that just going into Samaria was compromising their faith. And so because of that, they wouldn't be caught dead inside the city of Samaria. Are you tracking me? As a matter of fact, they looked down on Samaritans, and Samaritans looked down on them. There probably had not been a Jewish man inside the borders of Samaria in years. And here comes Jesus. Walking in where Jews don't walk, talking to people who Jews won't talk to, speaking to people who don't want to talk to other people who are like him. And he's tired. The Bible says he's tired, so he sits down on a well. It's getting awkward. How do I know it's getting awkward? Because of I'm putting myself in the disciples' shoes for just a moment. Will you help me? Let me use my imagination. Have you ever been in a group of people and one of the husbands and wives gets in an argument in front of all y'all? Oh, it's just me? Is that a South thing too? Like there's five, six people, maybe you're sitting at church, maybe at a ball game, maybe you went over and visited, God forbid, it's Christmas dinner. And all of a sudden, one of the husbands and wives get into a tiff, and they don't go behind closed doors to do it. They just air all the laundry out in front of everybody. You know that awkward feeling? How, and then there's always some jokester feel like he's going to be the one to break it ice and make it all right and causes some chaos by telling some joke that don't make no sense to nobody. Does anybody know what I'm talking about or is that just my family? So here, so here we have the disciples who has followed Jesus into a place that has made them be in an awkward situation. Okay? They don't want to go. So they make up an excuse not to be there. If you're waiting on me to preach, I'm already there. They're following Jesus. They don't want to be there. They make up an excuse. Pastor, how do you know they made up an excuse? Let me help you. Let's have a Sunday school lesson. How many disciples did Jesus have? How many? So how many people does it take to go down to Chick-fil-A and get a nugget and a waffle fries? Why did all 12 of them have to go down to Chick-fil-A? Because that's God's chicken. You know it was Chick-fil-A? Why why did all 12 disciples have to go get lunch for Jesus? Because they didn't want to be where Jesus was leading them to. 
See, this is the part of the story that nobody ever thinks about because the Bible said that the disciples went to get lunch. It don't take 12 people to go put an order in to go, okay? Even if it was Wendy's Chili, you can get them in a carrier. You ain't got to, you ain't got to have all them boys go get one meal for one Savior. So there's an awkwardness that they're trying to avoid. Somebody say Amen. When God is leading them somewhere they don't want to particularly go, it gets awkward. And because of the awkwardness, they avoid following him. Let that sink in your spirit because that's what I'm going to preach about the rest of the time I have this morning. Then another awkward thing happens. A Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day when nobody's supposed to be there. And this Samaritan woman begins talking to this Jewish rabbi, and none of this is supposed to be happening. She's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be there. He's a man. She's a woman. They're from uh, races that don't like each other, and they're not supposed to be having any kind of communication. It's getting awkward. Can I tell you what happens when you get in an awkward situation with the Lord? Whenever you are living outside of your purpose, Whenever you are living below the standard that God expects for your life and you become confronted with the truth, it is impossible to stay comfortable. When you look around the building and you wonder, how come so-and-so's... I don't want you pointing fingers. When you look around the building and you say, there used to be a bunch of people set over here. And there used to be a bunch of people. And remember when all them people got, went up and got saved. And remember when we had that baptism and 27 people got baptized. And remember when children's church had all these kids. And remember when the Sunday school class was going. And remember when the prayer team had this many people. And you look around and you're like, where did all these people go? Let me help you. It's not all about me. It's not all because people... Uh, fell out of love with Pastor Mitchum. It's not, it's not all because they don't like the volume of the music, although some people don't like the volume of the music. Some people, some people quit church because they didn't get their tax papers on time. I don't know why everybody quits, but you have to understand that some people drop out, most people drop out of following the Lord because he makes it, uh, it make impossible for them to stay comfortable where they are. When you are confronted with truth, you have only two options. Lean into the truth and conform. Or step away from the truth and stay in what you have. And God loves you too much to leave you where you are, and he is constantly challenging you. That's why it gets awkward. That's why the conversation... Have you ever had to have one of those awkward conversations with somebody? whether it was at work, whether it was at home, whether it was in school. I was talking to somebody one time. It's been a couple years ago, and they came to church, and they, it was for a wedding. They weren't part of our church. And, and I was just talking to them, and they said, I used to work with so-and-so. And I said, oh, you, you, you still work there? He said, no, um, no. Things got awkward. And I said, well, we call that a day it ends in why. Everything's awkward. Like, the world's an awkward place. And he said, he worked for a boss who said that the next day he needed him to come into his office. And he hated confrontation. And I said, so, so you just quit? And he says, well, not really. I just never showed back up. I said, you gave up a whole job 
because you didn't want to have one awkward conversation? He, he said, yeah, I just went and found another job. I never told him I was quitting. I just didn't show up anymore. That's one way to avoid having awkward conversations. I don't recommend you to do that. But the truth is when God confronts you, he often confronts you with uncomfortable choices. And that's when you need to make a decision to walk toward God or you make one to walk away from God. And where you end up will determine, is determined on how you decided. And if that's not awkward enough, hold on, it's about to get worse. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, Enter in by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. Say easy. Mm -hmm. That leads to destruction. Have you ever thought about why God would make a destructive path easy? Keep reading. Those who enter it are many. So the way to destruction is easy, and there's a bunch of folks you know that's on it. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, say hard, to, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, I've never asked this question from a pulpit before, but why in the world would God make two paths one of them hard, one of them easy, and the hard one is the one where he wants you to go, and the easy one is the path that's going to lead you away from him. Why would God design two paths like that? Well, the answer is God didn't make the paths. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to mess with your theology a little bit because we know that this is written about where you spend eternity. The broad path where there's many on it, and you know folks that are on that broad path leading to destruction, that, that's eternity in hell. We know that. that. Theologically, we know that. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Okay? But here's what you have to understand. It's talking about a path. A path. Say it, say it with me. A path. Okay. So what is a path? What is a road? What is a trail? They are access to a destination. They are not the destination. So, so there's this big, wide, what is it? Path. There's a big, wide path that leads to destruction. It's a big, wide path. And many find it. It leads to, last Sunday I left here, I ran out of here, I grabbed my, I grabbed my uh, stuff in my truck, and I headed south because I had to go preach for a friend of mine in Beckley, West Virginia. Church started at 6.30. I got right past the last exit in Morgantown, and traffic was standing still. There had been an accident, very serious, somebody lost their life up ahead of us. And for two hours and 20 minutes... I was on a path and could not get to my destination. I was on the phone with the pastor and was 10 minutes from pulling the plug, telling him he's going to have to go grab one of his old ones out of his file cabinet and preach it because I'm not going to make it. I was going about to abort the mission because I'd, it was too late and I wasn't going to get there on time as it was. I was on a path. 79 South is a path. But I couldn't preach from there. 
I, I couldn't. It would do me no good to preach from the from the first Paramount exit and expect people in Oak Hill, West Virginia, to receive the message. Why? Because I was on the path there, but I hadn't arrived yet. And so, when Jesus is teaching us about this path, He's teaching us that the path is big. It's broad. It has many people finding it. But here's what you need to know about a path. You're not there until you reach the end. You're on the path. You haven't reached your destination. So the destination is destruction. The path to get there is easy and wide. But ultimate destruction is at the end of the journey. And until you get to the end of the journey, you have got a chance to turn around and make a different. See, before a person arrives at their ultimate destruction, they are on the path to destruction. I'd never read that scripture this way before. Which means until you reach your destination, you can still change direction. No matter how long you've been on this big, wide, easy path, you can start making different choices now and turn yourself around. Let, let me give it to you in practical terms. Bankruptcy is the, is the destruction of your credit score. But bankruptcy is the destination you arrived at because you thought credit card was paid by the credit card ferry. He got quiet in this mortuary. Did you notice my whole amen committee resigned on that one point right there? Hey, listen, <laughs> driving drunk and wrapping your car around a telephone pole is the destruction of your vehicle. But your, your des that's the de destination. That's your ultimate destruction. You probably won't be able to have freedom to get around after the cops show up and take your license away from you. But you made a lot of choices to get to that destination. You were on a wide path. That bar was full of folk. Y'all not going to help me. That club was turned up. There were people everywhere crawling with people, making the same choices you was making. So the one, the one incident that caused so much destruction is not the choice that got you there. Let me put it in these terms. Yelling and screaming and cussing and punching holes in the wall at your house, that's the destruction of your relationship. And it's a wide, easy path to let your anger out. It is a narrow, hard path to bite your tongue to the point where you feel like you're going to maim yourself. And few there be that make that decision. In other words, your ultimate destruction is hell. But there's a lot of destruction along the way before you reach the destination. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself lost. You're on this big road that leads to a jacked up life. And there's a lot of people on it because it's easy. And there's this narrow road that leads to a life that is above and beyond anything you can ask, imagine, or think. But this way is hard and pay attention how how the bible describes these two paths it says the dangerous one is easy and the blessed one 
is hard. So when you see all these people posting stuff on Facebook, too blessed to be stressed. And that's followed by one where they was out all night at the club and the cops was called and they're cussing out their ex and getting TROs against them. And now the same breath, they too blessed to be stressed. Them bags under your eyes tells me that you are too stressed to be blessed. You're not going to talk about that? Like we're just going to act like them don't exist? Like, like the fact that you got uh, windows broke out of your house, that we're not going to talk about that? The cops showed up on your lawn three times last week. We're not going to talk about that? That's a broad path, and it's easy. It's easy to find yourself on the path to destruction. So every time... You have to have one of these awkward conversations with the Lord. Here's why it is. He is trying to get you to take the hard way, not the convenient way. I, I, I knew I wasn't going to get no help this week. That's why I, 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 I scurried around my house and found all my amens so I could bring some in my pocket. You're doing good, preacher. You keep going. But, Every time the Lord has an awkward conversation with you, like he did this woman at the well, it's to confront you on the choices you've been making. Because you have been taking the easy way, but the easy path leads to destruction. Which means hiding in church don't help because you can be in the church and on the wrong path. You, you, you can be in the right political party for you and be on the wrong path. You, you can get married and stay on the wrong path. You can get the promotion and get on the wrong path. It, none of these external things change your path except you do. So here's what I need. I don't know what you need, but I need the Lord to give me the, all the ingredients for me to be headed and stay headed in the right direction. This is what I need. I need the Lord to give me all the ingredients to keep me headed in the right direction. So, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice, and then I'm going to get out of your way. Number one, Bible says that the way to destruction is what? It's wide and it's easy. And there's a lot of people on it. So I'm going to give you one piece of advice. If you, wanna, if you want God to give you the ingredients to stay on the right path, the first thing you need to do is see what everybody else is doing and don't do that. Can I get an amen? See, the whole world has lost its mind. I don't know if you've noticed. The whole world has, has decided they can just redefine words, redefine meanings, change what things mean. And, they, and, and so they're trying to tell you things like family, does, family looks like this and marriage looks like that. And, 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 and you, why are you worried about being in debt? Just go and borrow more money. So whatever everybody else is doing because the path to destruction is... Yeah, so there's a lot of people on the path to destruction. But before you end up in destruction, you make a lot of bad decisions before you get there. So if you don't want to be making those bad decisions, look around and see what everybody else is doing and go the other way. Because broad is the way that leads to bankruptcy. Broad is the way that leads to anxiety. Broad is the way that leads to shacking up. Y'all not going to help me. Broad is the way to doing whatever feels good. Broad, 
Broad is the way to what I think about myself is more important than what God says about me. That's the broad path. But if you want to be on the right path, you have to do it God's way, not the popular way. I wouldn't be preaching this message this morning if I wanted to be popular. I tried to get God. I I said, God, I'm going to be gone in a couple weeks. Won't you give this to my wife? Like, like she's so sweet. She'd get up here and give you this stuff, and you'd be at the the end of the service. You did such a great job. Because her temperament is not like mine. And and I knew how this was going to be received before I got up here. So, 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 So the first ingredient you need is to look at what the world is doing and don't do that. The next ingredient you need is to always choose unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Pastor, how am I going to be uh, unified with people on the broad path? Well, that's your problem. You're on the wrong path. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. What are you doing over there with your fool self on the wrong path? You, of course you shouldn't be unified with them, folks. They're, not, they're headed somewhere you are not headed to. They're going the opposite direction of where you're supposed to be going, so don't yoke up with them. But the folks that you are yoked up with, the people who believe in the same God you believe in, the people who practice the same faith you have, you're supposed to be unified with them. We got way too much division where there should be unity. Hey, hey, you said I do. In every marriage counseling I do, I set them down, and they're so sweet, and usually they're young, and they've got all these stars in their eyes, and they're so excited about this thing. And I give them a big dose of reality. And even up until we do the ceremony, I tell them, it's not too late. Like, if you got somebody in the crowd that could, like, have a car, like, I'll cause a distraction. And you slip out. Listen, don't, I would rather you break their heart now than do it five years from now. Because if you have a doubt, don't do it. And that phrase I always use is, don't say you do until you do. Because once you say you do, you're done. So you need, you have to be unified. The Bible tells husbands and wives to be unified. Because anybody can get married. All you got to do is go to the courthouse. They don't even make you, remember uh, us old timers. Remember when we used to have to go get blood? Maybe that was a southern West Virginia thing, just make sure we wasn't cousins. But I... We gotta cut the live stream. I can't let nobody in Princeton hear me say that. <laughs> we used to have to get blood. When my wife and I got married, we had to give, go to the hospital and, and get blood. And, 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 and I mean, you can go to the courthouse and bypass all that and just, just sign a paper and pay a fee and, and get married, but it takes a lifetime to become unified. Anybody can say, I do. Anybody can make an initial commitment, but things will get awkward. Before they get better. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about living in a fantasy marriage where there's no conflict. Okay? I'm just talking about you work together until you find the right ingredients. And sometimes that means you have to have uncomfortable conversations in the confines of the marriage. 
let me give you some free counseling. Which means keep it off of Facebook. And for the love of all things holy, don't go home and tell mama. Let me give you a clue in case nobody has ever warned you. Mama's always on your side. She is never going to give you clear, unbiased opinions. She's always going to think, well, I'll just go over there and give them a piece of my mind. Talk to my baby like that, will he? Oh, nay, nay. He didn't marry you, woman. <laughs> so keep mama out of it. Keep daddy out of the conflict. Daddy will come over there with a revolver tucked up under his shirt because somebody dare get cross with my baby girl. <laughs> no, no, no. Sometimes you have to have awkward discussions. I've often called it intense moments of fellowship. Sometimes you have to do it, and it's awkward, but it has to be done. For all my fight fans, it looks something like this. Let's get ready to rumble. In this corner, we've got you never take out the trash. You forgot my birthday this year. And after all these years, you still never found the clothes hamper. And in this corner, we've got you never stop nagging. How about you ask me how I feel once in a while? And I never did really like your meatloaf. Now let's keep it clean, keep it clean, touch gloves. No hitting below the belt. Don't talk about his mama. Let's get it on. But see, too many of us are missing the ingredient of serving. And so we show up for places like work, and we think they're there to make us happy. We show up in places like marriage, and we think they're supposed to be doing everything to make us happy. We show up at church. We think the church is there to be a blessing to us when really we're supposed to. And sometimes God's got to sit down on the well and wait for you so he can have one of these awkward conversations because God's way is uncomfortable when you're on the wrong path. Uh, come on, can I talk about your money? How do you, how do you maximize your finances? How in this crazy, topsy-turvy world of inflation sky high and rising gas prices and all this blah, 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 and I need this and I need this, how can you keep hold of your finances and not get on that wide path? Well, just watch what everybody else is doing and don't do that. For instance, learn to say, I can't afford it. I remember my mom telling me when I was a little kid, no, we can't afford that this payday. Then there was some stuff I dared not even ask for because I knew it could be a hundred paydays and we couldn't afford that. But my mother used to tell me, and we don't tell kids today that we can't afford it. And the world's idea of handling finances is this, buy, 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 and pay for it. Later, yay, yay, credit. Woo! 
to college for four years, get a degree we're never going to use. Come out $120,000 in debt so we can be the assistant manager at Taco Bell. Pay more for a piece of paper that we don't use than we do for the utilities that we have to have. All because somebody said, pay for it later. Use OPM. You know what OPM is, right? Other people's money. Here's the problem with using OPM. When you use other people's money, other people always come back for their money. And they don't just want their money they gave you, they want it and some extra. The Bible keeps telling us in John chapter 4, if we pick back up with verse 39, because you're mad at me already. I got on that student loan crisis and y'all going to have a fit. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, pay attention to this, he told me everything I ever did. Stop right there. Stop right there. I didn't, this is not part of my sermon. This is free. Can you imagine how you would feel right now. I'm not talking about in the future. I'm not talking about the past you. Right now, this Sunday, if Jesus walked in the room, grabbed my microphone, and started telling everybody in this room everything you did. I don't see nobody jumping up and down saying, Yay, Jesus. Nah. Some of y'all would resign your membership. <laughs> And I would never see or hear from you again. Listen, this woman is excited that Jesus told her everything she ever did. And let's be honest, because I grew up in the old church, okay? I grew up in the old skirts and beehive hairdos and long sleeves. and I, I grew up in the old holiness church. We change church, uh, Bible stories to because we want to church it up a little bit we, we, we sanitize it for the Lord's use we, we make these stories more holy than than they really intended to be because this woman she was not a church mother she, she, she got around like she was a bit of a floozy and Jesus just read her mail Listen, if you wonder what kind of woman this woman was, if it was 2022, this woman would have one million followers on TikTok, her own reality show, and some of y'all would be wearing her makeup. <laughs> and Jesus... Jesus gets awkward with her, just like I just got awkward with you. And he says, I know everything that you've done, but pay attention. And I still love you. I still want you. I still have purpose. Free my God. 
So this woman wasn't excited that everybody knew about her scandal. This woman wasn't excited because Jesus broadcast. Who would be, you'd have to be a lunatic to be happy to boast about your sin. No, no, no. What got her extremely tore up was the fact that Jesus knew it. And unlike all the other men in her life, that once they found out what she was like, they walked out on her. Jesus got closer and said, you have no idea what I have in store for you, what I've got for you. If you knew who I was, if you knew what I could give you, you wouldn't push me away. I want you. I want to draw close. This is, this, is why, this is why it's hard for me to believe that a person has really been transformed when they keep it to themselves. Because when you really get... People say, well, it's awkward to witness. It's awkward to you. But when you really get transformed, when you meet this man, when he gets awkward with you first and he makes you make a decision... The Bible says it's like fire shut up in my bones. I'll tell the woman who has given me a heart cast. I'll tell my nail tech. I'll tell the woman at the beauty parlor. Whatever's happening. Somebody pumping gas across the way. Have you heard about Jesus? He knows everything about me. And he loved me. And he... So yeah, it's going to get awkward. But it'll only be awkward if you ain't on fire for this thing. This is what it says in verse 28. The woman then left her water park, went into the city and said to the men, who she talked to? How come it didn't say she went and talked to everybody? See, sometimes you got to read the Bible, sometimes you have to read the Bible. Who's the say she talked to? Okay, go back to verse 28. Woman left the water park, went away into the city. She said about the women and children. She went out to the orphanage and witnessed. Maybe she went and talked to all the men. Because she knew a bunch of them. She wanted to tell them about this other man she'd met who wasn't like any of them. And when she said, he told me everything I'd done. Can't you see? Come on now. He told me everything I'd done. I can see some of the brothers going, how much does he know? He, t- he told you, he told you everything, you, what did he say about me? What, 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 did he say anything about me? Because, like, I can't let that get out. Like, I, did he mention my name? She went specifically, I'd never seen this before. All the times I've preached this sermon, all the times I've told this woman's story, I never paid attention to who she went and witnessed to. She went and told all the men And said to them, come see a man. Men in the first verse is lowercase. Man in this verse is uppercase. Because there ain't no other man like this man. 
There ain't nobody can do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. There is something about this man that's not like everybody else. The scandalizers, the liars, the betrayers, the people that have drugged you through the mud, the people that all they ever want to do is bring back up all the problems you got like they ain't got none. The people that want to knock you down so they can feel better about themselves. She said this man ain't like them men. This man has got something else. He knows everything about me. I don't have to hide. I don't have to act like I'm perfect. I don't have to act like I didn't do anything wrong. I can be honest. I can be vulnerable. I can be open. And he loves me anyway. He loves me all the way to glory and back. And the Bible says the whole town got saved. The whole city got saved because Jesus had an awkward confrontation that changed a woman who changed a whole city because when confronted with the truth, she changed paths. And I know under the sound of my voice, there's somebody sitting here. And when I challenge you here in a few moments under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to change paths, your excuse is going to be, well, I'm just as good as so-and-so. Well, I know such-and-such is on the board of the church, and they do this, and nobody knows a Nobody knows them like I do. Hey, nobody knows what I have to go home and live with. So when I get ready to challenge you here in a few moments to get off the destructive path, I want to eliminate your excuses. Because your standard is not who you're married to. And your standard is not the deacon at the church or the pastor. Your standard certainly is not the government officials or the people over you at work. Your standard is that capital M-A-N who knows all your flaws, who has seen you in your worst moments, who knows not only your actions but the intents of your hearts and loved you anyway. And he's getting right up in your business this morning and making this thing awkward and he's doing it on purpose because he loves you too much to leave you alone. When he sees you on a wide, destructive path, he will not leave you alone. He'll sit down on your well. He'll put this preacher or somebody else in your face and challenge you to switch paths. And it could be, can I just be honest? Can I act like I don't know you? Can I just be Evangelist Mitchum like I was last Sunday night? I didn't know anybody in the crowd. I can just be honest. I love that. It is so freeing to preach when I don't know your stories. Can I just act like I don't know you? Because your wide destructive path is not hell. It's the choices you're making to get there. The path leads to the destination. Which means you're on it now. 
as long as you can do that, you can still switch paths. And some of you, some of you are faithful to come to church, but you know you're on a destructive path. Make no mistake, God's not fooled, and neither are you. You know, you know what path you're on. Well, pastor, I'm in church every Sunday. I come to church more than you do. Hey, I'm glad for it. I'm thankful you're in church. But what path did you take to get here this Sunday? Because I don't want you to mishear what I'm about to say, but the wide path leads to the church house too. Just like the wide path leads to divorce, it also leads to the courthouse to get married. You can make bad, terrible, destructive choices no matter where you are on the path. Some of you are on the destructive path and you're killing your marriage. You refuse to serve each other. You refuse to give in. You want to be argumentative over everything. You don't want to submit. You don't want to be the first one to say you're sorry. You just want to stonewall and not talk about things. You're on a destructive path. It's heading somewhere. Some of you ain't even married. And you're on a destructive path because you're jumping into beds you know you ain't supposed to be in. And the decision's leading you somewhere. Some, some of you are on destructive paths with your finances because you're financing a life that your career cannot take care of. And you're going into debt and going into debt and going into debt and thinking everything's going to come out okay later. And you're going somewhere. Some of you are on a faith journey and you're making destructive choices because you know what the Bible says, but you really don't want to submit to what the whole counsel of God says. So you just want to kind of make it up and, and use a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You want to be like them Samaritans that have enough God to feel holy, but enough humanism to have a good time on Friday night. And it's leading somewhere. Some of you have been in church for years. Years. But has never gotten on the right path. Oh, you raise your hands when we worship. You love the songs. But you're walking on the wide, easy path because choosing the hard path costs too much. So I don't want to linger. This ain't about me. Trust me. I got my own issues. But as, as, as the band plays, I want people who recognize you're on the wrong path and you're not satisfied being there, I want you to come to this altar. And if you don't want to come to this altar, I want you to make an altar right where you are because you need to do it right now under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You need to change paths. And, and, and I'm not just talking about blatant sin. I'm listen, listen, I, can I tell you one of mine? Can I tell you one of mine? And I pray about it every day. I start the same, every day I start the same way. God, give me wisdom. Let me walk in favor. But let me, allow me to have wisdom. Allow, allow me to have favor to keep doors closed that you don't want me to go through. But allow me to have wisdom to walk through the ones that are open. And one of the things I have to pray about all the time is, God, don't let me eat my feelings today. There's a 70-pound heavier version of myself on video. Not from not too long ago, preaching this, this same message. And every day I have to ask God, God, don't let me eat my feelings because I gave up all my other vices, so don't let me, don't let me be on a destructive path to heart disease and die. Y'all not going to help me.
because that path leads somewhere. And then I got to pray for God to heal my diabetes because I couldn't put the fork down. But I was on a destructive path that was leading me, leading me somewhere. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, where are you? It's awkward, ain't it? Ain't it awkward? It's, it's awkward looking at somebody else and what path are you on? It's awkward. But God puts awkward questions in your path to challenge you to change the course of your destiny. So I'm going to ask you right now, everybody in this room that needs to change, you know you need to change the path you're on. Get up and come down to this altar. I need to change the path that I'm on. And I'm not asking you to reveal. I'm not, this is not confessional time. I'm not going to take you in the back and ask you what's going on in your life. It ain't none of my business. It's between you and that man on the well. There's a man sitting on a well challenging you right now, and it's going to get awkward. It's about to get awkward because as you bow your knee and say, God, I confess to you, whatever it is, it's going to make you feel embarrassed, ashamed. Some of you are going to feel like a failure. Some of you are going to feel like you should have done it better and made different choices, but I want you to hear the voice of this preacher. No matter what it is you're confessing, he already knows, and he still loves you. He's here this morning. God, I need to change my path. So, there's, more, there's more of you that needs to come up here. I'm not, I'm not going to get in your business. I could. The anointing's pretty heavy. I could. But some of you know, you know your marriage is not what it needs to be. You know it. That anger, that venom, that visceral hatred that you spew at each other, that's not normal. That's not godly. That's not what God called into existence. Some of you are estranged from your own children. That's not what God wants. I'm on the wrong path. I need to turn this thing around. Help me, Jesus. Some of you run to pills and tonics and potions and witchcraft and sorcery to make yourself feel better. When all you need is inside of you. He's called the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to words of this.